Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. We're going to be talking about love and relationships this month. We're using John D. Martini's book called The Heart of Love. And it's interesting in that it talks about relationships, whether they're romantic relationships, whether they're friendships, whether they're work partnerships, from the perspective of values. And so it's a different way maybe of looking about some of our reasons for being in relationship as well as how we might approach them. And I think we're going to have a little bit of fun about that. Uh, Where we start out, though, is dispelling some of the myths around relationships that maybe we've carried around for a long time. Who here is a fan of the TV show Mythbusters? Does anyone remember the one where they use a stick of dynamite to try to clean out the inside of a cement mixer? (laughs) I'm here to tell you that some of these myths that we believe to be true about relationships work just about as well. I'm going to start, though, by reading kind of the promise of the book and see, uh, see if you agree with this. He says, this book will help you understand what really drives human behavior in romance, business, and families. It will assure you that you can have the kind of relationships that you'll love, whether they're lasting or brief, whether they're intensely intimate or just for fun. In the following pages, I'll share the science of successful and fulfilling communication, the cornerstone of any good relationship, and give you the tools you need to create powerful partnerships with people who can help you acknowledge, experience, and express more of your true self. So I think we're going to have a great month, and let's get started with some of these myths. So he actually details uh, maybe a dozen or more of them. I've highlighted maybe... Uh, Well, let me be honest, I've highlighted the ones that I've been trapped in before, uh, because I can speak to them fairly well, and we'll see if you also resonate with some of these. First of all, don't we have the idea, or maybe didn't, we used to have the idea, that something about being in a relationship was about making me happy? That somehow if I was with someone, I would be happier. That, that somehow relationships in families and in work and best friends, that, that part of just the very design almost of relationships was to increase my happiness. Get out the stick of dynamite. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that happiness is a fully inside job. And that relationships, if you want to think about it, are more like adding a magnifying glass to what already exists. So if you are already really self-assured and feeling good about yourself and happy in the world, then adding a a relationship to it will magnify that. And so you may have the illusion that, oh yeah, when I got in that relationship, it really... It really helped amp up my happiness. I'm here to tell you, though, if you enter into a relationship and you're feeling unsure about yourself and feeling like the world is kind of a hurtful place and, and, uh, and some of the negative aspects of your own heart, getting into a relationship is going to just put the magnifying glass on that, too. 
Relationships don't really change how we look at ourselves and how we look at the world, but it adds a little heat to the bottom of things. It, it creates that mirror effect so that it's ever so easy to see our own shortcomings and faults and what we believe about ourselves. And so if you're in that position of thinking that somehow being single is why you're sad or troubled and that a relationship will help it out, back to that stick of dynamite. You're just apt to feel more of what you're feeling right now. And in fact, I, I, I would challenge you. So all of us have had periods in our lives, probably when we've been in some kind of a primary relationship, and periods in our life when we probably haven't been in a primary relationship. And if you're at all like me, I'm here to tell you some of the saddest, most lonely times of my life was when I was in a long-term committed relationship. There is no guarantee that being with someone even holds loneliness at bay. There's nothing worse than feeling lonely when you're surrounded by family members and coworkers. They may even love you dearly, and yet you can still feel in the grips of isolation and loneliness. So, the myth that somehow a relationship, and again, whether it's romantic, whether it's a work-related one, any kind of relationship, the notion that that will bring you happiness, let us dispel that one for once and all. Not going to happen. It simply will make you feel more of what you're feeling now because the other person will act as a mirror reflecting back to you more of what's going on on the inside of you. They can't help but it. And so sometimes that may show up of the, as them being critical. And guess what they're going to be critical about? They'll be critical about the deficits that you see in your own heart, in your own life, right? The very things that will apt to just annoy the living heck out of you. And that's because it's your own perception of being unwhole comes to myth number two. And this is a really strong one for a lot of people. The idea, the myth, if you will, that if you find the right someone, if you find maybe that soulmate, that he or she will magically fit together with you in a way that everything that's missing in you is present in them and everything that's missing in them is present in you and that together it will be this orb of shining spirituality and, and goodness and joy. And I, and I got to tell you, a lot of people will tell, I mean, will look me right in the eye and say, when I find my soulmate, things will really take off. It doesn't exist in that way. Now, I'm more than willing to believe that we have soulmates out there. It isn't that at all. But you are already whole and perfect to begin with. The very idea that you need some other person to fill in what you're lacking is really setting up a relationship for probably two sticks of dynamite. <laughs> now, now, think about it now for a minute, right? I'm approaching someone with the idea, almost on purpose, that there's a whole bunch of stuff wrong with me. Right? And, so, so there's your first stick of dynamite. <laughs> and what am I thinking? 
that they're going to take care of that, right? No, no loaded expectations here, right? My, my loneliness, my low self-esteem, my, my difficulty around strangers or, you know, whatever, whatever things I think are wrong with me, well, well my friend here is going to take care of it, right? Because that's what friends do. If she loves me, she'll know how to take care of this. If he understands me as a soulmate will, all of my troubles will be made up, right? You can see why this is just loaded with the worst kind of relationship issues because you're going into it thinking there's already something wrong with you when there isn't, by the way. Now, we all have things we want to work on and, and I'm the first to sign up for, for, for classes and, and interior spiritual work to move me along further in my becoming a good human being. So, so first of all, let me just say, I do understand we want to make progress on this human plane. We want to get better at being with people, at, at understanding our relationship to the divine. Absolutely, I'm here for progress. And at the same time, I know everything I need is already here. I have the ability to be lovable and capable. I have the ability in me right now to have a joyous experience of life. Right? Just the way I was built from the very beginning, I have the capability of compassion, of joy, of peace, of all the good stuff. And so, when I enter into a relationship from that plane of really recognizing in myself the wholeness, the capability, the lovability, the, and, and notice I, I'm not talking about some kind of perfection here. I don't have to look a certain way. I don't have to have certain particular habits. We're, we're all in that process of being human and, and in some days being more human than others, right? So some of us have habits and ways of being that may grate on other people's nerves. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the ability of every single one of us as one of God's gifts to be able to experience joy, love, peace, to be able to stand up for themselves and when they look in the mirror, see something that is valuable and lovable. And when we recognize that level of wholeness in ourselves, when we approach life from that perspective, still work to be done, but essentially whole and perfect, then relationships are awesome. Then I don't need someone to complete me. I don't need a soulmate to make up for what's lacking in me, then a soulmate is just someone to celebrate this grand life with. Then the idea of a soulmate is not uh, not two halves become a Have you heard that? I've heard, I remember, I refused to do a wedding one time. Oh, now I'm divulging. I'm divulging too much, but I actually refused to do wedding vows one time because they had this, it was a lovely poem, but it talked about two souls becoming one, two incomplete things becoming one in the marriage. And I said, I don't believe that. You don't want me saying something on your wedding day of all days that I don't believe. I think the two of you are absolutely whole and perfect and your marriage will reflect that. Your marriage will show two holes coming together, right? It's like two pieces coming together in a way that are even better than the two that are already whole. I get that, I understand that. But I'm not buying into this idea there's something 
missing in you, that idea. Have you heard someone introduce their uh, significant other as their better half? It's like, no, <laughs> I won't have it. <laughs> All right, you, 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 got it, you got enough of that. Couple more myths I wanna talk about. One, and this normally happens for younger people, but I've seen it happen in uh, people of all ages, and that is the thought that when I find the right person, relationships will be easy. <laughs> that if I'm struggling, it means I haven't found the right one. And whether it's friendship, and I honestly, I see this really commonly, not only in romantic relationships, but just friendships. I hung out with her twice, it's too much work. Friendship should be easy. It should be like falling off a log together. I shouldn't have to explain myself. She should just get me, right? Uh, and we're all really professional mind readers, aren't we, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so as we're going to learn in the next few weeks, most of what we're attracted to in people, ideally, is the values and the ideals that they represent. And so we're going to be talking more about that. But you can see that often we don't even know what our values and our ideals are ourselves. And let alone have we had the ability or the chance to communicate that with people that we want to hang out with. And so they see us maybe on some, some odd version of good behavior that isn't even a reflective of what we really believe or how we want to show up in the world, Right. Uh, does everyone here at least remember dating and, and how you wanted to look right and act right and talk right and we'll go out to the restaurant that I've only ever been to once because it's not really my thing. And I mean, think about this. We, we set ourselves up for everything we're not. That's what we're giving out there. And then, well, of course, it's going to be a struggle to maintain that. It's not you. So we're going to be learning more about the idea of how we portray ourselves, literally what we stand for, what we believe in, what our ideals are, how we can communicate that in a way. Because ideally, that's what relationships are based on. And they always require work. So the thought that, well, this is too hard. Marilyn, you're just too hard to work with. I'll try, I'll try Nancy, <laughs> right? It's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, right? We're all whole and perfect. We all have rough edges, and we're all worth the time to really find out what our values are. Now, if there comes a time when you're with someone and you discover our value systems are really different. These are the four or five things that are really important to my friend. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with them, but they are so far down on my list <laughs> that they almost don't count. <laughs> that would be a reason for just not wanting to not have that friendship anymore, but just the amount of time that you naturally would want to spend with them is probably less than someone with which you share a lot of passion around certain values and, and certain ideals and certain ways of being in the world. And so what we're going to learn this month is, first of all, how to recognize in ourselves what's important, and then how to be 
uh, actually pretty upfront about sharing who we are authentically in a way that gives the other people clues. So they're not, they're not actually coming up against this stranger. They're coming up against you in all of your complexity, all of your, your delightfulness, all of your troubles too, and making decisions based on what's important, what you value and who you are. All right, a couple more myths here before we go on. Uh, oh yeah, oh gosh, this one, this one, oh dear. In fact, when I was going over the talk on this particular myth, I had a couple examples and I was crying while I was writing them down. So that's, no, so we're not gonna do them. Hmm. We're not gonna do them. Let me, but I did find a safe example. So I had two sets of grandparents. I guess everybody does, if you think about it. Uh, uh, Hopefully everyone does. One set of grandparents, uh, they managed to get 75 years of marriage in uh, before uh, before the first one of them passed away. And the other uh, set of grandparents, I I think it was uh, 60-some years of marriage together, both together for the longest time. One set of my grandparents... If I ever have that relationship, I will be the happiest man on the planet. I mean, I'm pretty happy in relationship now, but after 70, 70 years, the two of them looked at each other, and you could literally see the love going between those two people after they had been together for 70 years. You could still see it. In fact, I remember we had their 70th wedding anniversary at our, at our house. They sat and held hands together. The other set of grandparents who had been together over 60 years hated each other. <laughs> they, were, they were mean to each other. There was never a good word shared between them. In fact, there were very few words shared between them. As a child, when I would go over to that grandparent's house for the weekend, they would talk to me and not even talk to each other. It was like, ask your grandpa, blah, 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 blah. Go ask your grandmother if blah, blah, blah. They wouldn't even talk together sometimes. So this myth that I want to discuss is that a marriage, a relationship in general, should last forever, otherwise you're a failure. Now this is real endemic too. Most people believe that if they put enough effort, and we're going to talk in subsequent weeks about uh, useful effort to put into a relationship and effort that's not so useful, but most people think that if I would just stay the course, I can make this this friendship work, this marriage work, and that if I don't stay the course, there's something wrong with me. Total myth you are totally setting yourself up for holding on to that dynamite stick right up until the last second when self-preservation finally kicks in. Relationships are meant to last exactly as long as they last. Relationships, now, now, now let's circle back around to myth number one again. The purpose of a relationship isn't to make you happy. The purpose of a relationship, according to Martini, is for self-exploration. And so a relationship need only last as long as that mirror 
is being useful and copacetic, that, that each of you are helping the other on their path of self-discovery, which of course includes love and joy and, and all of that good stuff, but the primary part of it is that you're growing, that you are growing together, that you're using each other for self-inquiry, self-analysis, and that ability to really see yourself as whole and perfect. When that no longer, and if you think about it, think about when you maybe meet a new friend. Aren't you doing that for each other? You absolutely are. When that is no longer present in a relationship, it's actually time to evaluate the relationship. Should it change? Should we maybe not be living together anymore? You know, I would throw that out. Demartini doesn't mention that, but one of the greatest myths that I, I certainly uh, lived through a couple times is that if you love someone, that should be enough. You should be able to live with them. That when I love someone, let's, let's get the moving vans out. What are we waiting for? What, what's your dishes pattern? You know? Is your... Is your how much will it cost to get you an extra set of keys, right? Now, now again, I may be portraying people more like in their 20s and 30s who maybe haven't had uh, an experience or two where it didn't quite work out that way. But, but nonetheless, there's still the thought that love conquers all. That love in itself is such a perfect emotion that if I love someone, that's all that it takes to be together. And for a lot of people, the be together literally means we'll live together. That's not the way it works. Love is a strong and wonderful and beautiful emotion, and it's completely separate from living arrangements. It's completely separate from how that love is best manifest and handled in the relationship. For some people, it may mean cohabitation. For some people, it may be romance and sex, as well as a feeling of strong connection and love. For other people, no. That's just not what's going to be healthy for you. That's not the back to the purpose of being in relationship. All right, I think I have one more, and then we're going to move on to something more fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's a thought too, and this one I think is kind of wishful thinking in a way. We begin with the when something happens, then things will be okay again. We begin doing sort of optimistic what ifs around the other people and around the situations. So we might say to ourselves something like, um, well, when he's not drinking, he's really a nice guy. We might say to ourselves something like, uh, um, if it weren't for our finances and the struggle we have with finances, this relationship would be good. We might say something like, well, she drives me nuts with her ta-da-ta-da-ta-da-ta-da, but she's a good person. What we're doing is we're saying that as soon as the other person cleans up their act, right, then the relationship, the friendship, the marriage or whatever will be okay. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it out. 
because I know she can change. I know he is, once he understands where I'm coming from, of course he will want to be different, right? I just got to stick this out a little more until we get him in a 12-step program. I just got to stick this out a little more until she discovers that her constant nagging is driving me crazy or what you know whatever whatever it is what we're doing is i'm saying i don't actually love you i love what you could be do you see the do you see the big trouble with this is you're in love with someone who doesn't exist you're in love with the idea of how someone could be do you realize how dismissive that actually is? Now, you're not thinking of it maybe in those terms, but believe me, the other person will understand that you are finding them deficit, right? And typically what happens is they'll get right up in your face. You married me for who I am. We're in this friendship exactly because of who I am, and now you're telling me that's not good enough? Now, you may not actually use those words, but when you start giving the stink eye and doing the things that we do when someone is not meeting our expectations of how we would like them to be, oh boy, do they get it right away. They totally get that you're not seeing them in a way that's acceptable. And when that is what we base a relationship on, when we're basing a relationship on how someone could be or how we would like them to be, it is set up for such trouble because they will return the favor. <laughs> you are giving them permission to return the favor, and they start looking at you as they wish you could be remade, and pretty soon you have two people in love with a complete fantasy. And the reality is, They'll be shaming each other. They'll be backstabbing each other. They will be doing everything they think that they can do to control how that other person could become more authentically themselves as I see them. <laughs> and if you could wrap your way around that, <laughs> we, we have an extended course in the wings. <laughs> all right. So I don't want to leave you, though, with all this negativity. But I do want to leave you with the idea that some of these fallacies, some of these ideas may be alive in some of your relationships right now. So your homework this week, and then we'll move on to a, another little bit. Your homework this week is to evaluate any of your relationships where you're feeling not quite fulfilled in them. So, uh, so, so you know, let's, let's not spend time on relationships that are working perfectly well. But if you have a relationship, a friendship, a marriage, a partnership, a, a business kind of relationship that isn't feeling fulfilling to you, where you're having to show up not quite as yourself or you feel like you're walking on eggshells. I've heard it described that way. Well, when I'm with her, I really like her. I even love her, but, but I always feel like I'm kind of walking on eggshells. Or I heard one, one gentleman say, say uh, it always feels like I'm waiting for the other shoe to fall. Always wait, you know, it always feels like something, like this is feeling really good now, and so I know what comes next. <laughs> so if you have a relationship like that, I'd like you to examine it for one of these common myths. And let me run through them again really quickly. Uh, that a relationship will make you happy. So I need to stick with one 
even if it isn't working, because that's how I can be happy. Uh, if I'm not involved, and, and some people too will be in a relationship because of the worst, uh, the reverse. If I'm not involved with someone, I'm going to be lonely and desperate and a loser. So, so some people will stay in a relationship that is actually abusive because they can't picture themselves single. They can't picture themselves being alone. Uh, when I find my soulmate, I'll be complete. All of you who are busy out buying princess outfits for your daughters and granddaughters, think about what a princess outfit means. Is a princess ever complete? Or does she need a... Yeah. So take a look at the idea of that, that, that soulmate. You're needing someone else to be complete with and what you do with that in your life. And then, uh, of course, the idea of it, uh, that idea of sticking through it no matter what because relationships are always supposed to last forever. If I just worked harder, if she just understood me better, um, we'll get through this once she, he realizes what he, she is doing is wrong. <laughs> so just take a look at those. All right, now on to the idea of a good relationship, although we're really going to spend the next several weeks talking about that. First of all, the purpose of a relationship is to better understand yourself. So what is a good relationship then? A good relationship is one in which you can authentically understand and be yourself and in which you are appreciated for it. And that's only half. The other half is, and you are willing to do and be the same for someone else. So you're actually willing to help someone else, else understand themselves better. And you're willing to take them just as they are, their authentic selves. Now, this doesn't mean there may not be some negotiation, right? There may be habits that need to be worked out. There may be boundary issues. I mean, all of these are fair game. But, but that core sense of who you are, what your ideals are, what your values are, that person should honor and respect them absolutely and be there as a mirror for them back to you to show you the wholeness and perfection that you are to allow that level of self-analysis to come back for you. This is really a different way of looking at relationships, isn't it? I'm thinking that we're going to have some fun this month, but I'm also thinking this may be a completely different way of looking at why we choose to be with other people and who we choose to allow to get closest to us. So my goal for this month is and we'll, we'll kind of move ahead a little bit in a way. My goal for the rest of the month, you will understand what your values and your ideals are. You'll be able to communicate them in a natural and easy way to other people. And you will begin evaluating your relationships based on those goals, those ideals, and those values rather than just on how they look and whether they showed up to dinner overdressed or underdressed or, you know, things like that. Now, the cool thing about this, I think, well, one of the cool things, uh, you'll be better, much better, at finding people who are actually a good fit in business, in romance. Uh, have you ever known people that, that, in fact, they call them people people? 
people who just authentically and easily know that, like, well, John would be my friend. Uh, it's like, I've only met John twice now, and, and yet I know that he and I could be friends. Now, whether we'll ever act upon that or not, actually, let's talk later, but, uh, <laughs> but, 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 you, but you know, you actually can learn, and it's by observing not how they look, but how they show up, and there's a subtle difference there. It's not so much how someone dresses or how they cut their hair or things like that, but it's how they behave with other people. It's how they show up. Are they helpful? Do they show up in a compassionate way, right? You can begin to not only put out the signals for you as to how you are in the real world, uh, but you can begin more easily interpreting them from other people. Okay, wow, I've talked overboard. Uh, see, you, you let me go away for a month and I just stored it all up. So uh, a, quick, uh, a quick reading from this book and then we'll do our prayer and we'll be finished today. So this is, from, uh, this is how he ends this section on, uh, on uh, being able and willing to release these myths. He says, if you're ready to let go of the dream of loved ones who don't have so-called flaws, then you're ready for something even greater than the fantasy. You're ready for fulfillment. This means you're willing to stop imagining that your parent idealized kids You'll quit expecting a lover to be constantly sexy and available. You'll no longer cling to the idea of the mythical spouse who completes you and who is loyal, supportive, and non-judgmental. In essence, fulfillment in a relationship comes from appreciating both sides of the situation, happiness and sadness. Everything that you or society or the partnership could perhaps misidentify as good and bad. Fulfillment means you simply wake up and see who you really are. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one love. There is only this thing called God, and, and today I do think of it as that, that highest container represented by the notion of love. And I internalize that. I recognize in myself that capability and loveability that is moving God through me. And as I show up in this world, in God's stead, as love, through compassion, through friendship, uh, through all manner of, uh, of earthly sorts of transactions where we're, we're there for each other, where we have uh, words of kindness, all of those things, I, I stand for love on this day. And as it is true for me, I invite everyone here to stand for love, to recognize in themselves that they have that capability of wholeness and perfection so that they can stand strong, not worried about how they're going to come across or how they're dressed or their education level or where they live, standing firm in God's grace as love, that love that is capable, that love that is endearing, that love that is able to, to go the, the distance in terms of communication styles, of openness, even of vulnerability. And so for this, for this capability that we're all born with, I give great thanks. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much.
We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.